1: Hello, and welcome to another episode of Keep the Flame Alive, the podcast for fans of the Olympics and Paralympics. If you love the games, we are the show for you. Each week, we share stories from athletes and people behind the scenes to help you have more fun watching the games. I am your host, Jill Jarris, joined as always by my lovely co-host, Allison Brown. Allison, hello. How are hello. you? Hello.
3: I know you're not on TikTok or Instagram much. There mm-hmm. is a trend on the reels, where they play this little song that says, I have friends. I definitely have friends. And this is, I I feel like this is our show for today.
1: <laughs> well, we do have friends. We have friends from Australia and from Canada who have joined us today. They're the gents from off the podium. We're taking a little bit of a winter break, so we don't have a normal show with For You but we got on the line with them to hear the Aussie and Canadian perspective on the games, so take a listen. Ben and Colin, thank you so much for joining us.
2: It's a pleasure. Thank you so much Absolutely. for uh, having us and doing this. It's so it's so exciting to be able to bring these shows together and keep the flame podium alive. I'm <laughs> trying to work, should have <laughs> about that. Off
0: the flame <laughs> podium.
2: Yeah, I don't know. We can come up with something by the end of this, can't we?
3: Keep the flame off the podium. Hey, there you go. That sounds also
2: entertaining and also educational. I like that.
1: (laughs) So it's fun being compatriots in the whole Olympics and Paralympics podcasting space. And it's fun because you have a different perspective being Australian and Canadian versus our rah rah American perspective.
2: USA. Um,
1: You've got that down very well. (laughs) uh, I like to
2: suck up. What can I say?
1: What made you say, hey, let's do a podcast?
0: Ben and I do several podcasts. And I think at the time before Rio, we were doing a podcast for Survivor. Great American show, Go USA. But we had just sort of talked about, oh, maybe we could do something for the Olympics. And I remember Ben and I throwing ideas around. And it was sort of like, maybe we'll just do it just on our Survivor podcast. Maybe bring some players on who had been in the Olympics. And then I'm like, well, why don't we just make it our own show? And uh, we recruited one of our other co-hosts from the Survivor podcast, who we knew was a big Olympic fan. And originally it just started, like, we're just going to do 16 episodes just for the real Olympics. We'll start our own name for it, our own feed. And then by the end of that, it was just... This- This was fun. See you again in two years, guys. (laughs) But uh, we started talking about, oh, what if we actually just talk to some of these athletes? And I think the early days of our podcast were interesting because we covered all the Olympics and I think we got more listeners than we did on any of our other shows during those 16 days. And it was probably a couple of months before we started getting some athletes on. And the episodes are very sporadic at that point, but just it was just like a very slow build. It just sort of built to now we got five athletes and now we've had 10. And now let's see if we can get one every month. And now let's see if we can get one every two weeks. And now it's at the point where Ben's done enough interviews to bank us for a couple months and we can just sit back and relax again.
2: It was entertaining and fun. And I think we just, it was just a great time during Rio and it was very sporadic at the beginning. And I think Colin had tracked down a couple of people. I had tracked down a couple of people and I had interviewed several Olympians back during my radio career. So it was sort of something that had always been that sort of side, like, Oh, I'm interviewing an Olympian today, but it just, Took off and we continued it for Pyeongchang and then continued it for Tokyo and then Beijing. And then, yeah, as Colin sort of mentioned, just in between we interviewed athletes and that's kind of the bread and butter now of what we do.
1: You've got some other like special episodes interspersed with the interviews. And Ben, you do most of the interviewing?
2: Yeah, no, it's sort of, I do the majority, but Colin all. Generally joining Jared's lazy. Jared is just like, I don't know you no, know <laughs> I just, I just show up when I, I, that's why he's not here today. Let's be honest. And the other sort of episodes, I think it just comes down to, you know, all Jay's side about Jared. Jared's fantastic. We like to have it so we can have a bit of a break from the interviews and, and because we love covering the Olympics every day during an actual games, we want to kind of use that passion and fun nature that we like to bring to the show to other aspects of it. So initially we just sort of did a, it's a year to go until a certain Olympics. Let's come in with some news and everything along those lines. We expanded that to some rankings episodes because through Colin and our other shows, we love to do rankings and then just some other ideas kind of flow from there. And, And we added sort of through that too, we were like, oh, Commonwealth Games. It's sort of big deal in Australia and Canada. So we covered back on the Gold Coast in 2018 and then Birmingham last year. Then we're like, oh, cool, the World Cup. This is technically the biggest event, bigger than the Olympics. So let's give this a crack. And so then we'll look at, say, maybe a Pan Am Games this year and kind of just add a little bit of outside of the Olympics of big sporting events, which I, I don't know. Like, do you guys sort of like to do that as well? Do you dip your toes in some of these other bigger sporting events outside of the Olympics? We've gone
3: back and forth on it. We did do minimal coverage of the World Games. We did a couple shows of that because they do have an IOC connection. And, yeah. of course, we've gone pretty strongly into the Paralympics. We're doing a lot of coverage of that. But we've talked a lot about do we cover the regional games, the Commonwealth, the Pan Am, because we certainly watch them. And a lot of our listeners. You watch the Commonwealth We did watch the Commonwealth. ah, They were a big hit. We had a lot of discussion on our Facebook page about the Commonwealth games and how much we could see and what could we see and what was happening. But we made the decision to not Cover the regional games because then we felt like we were spreading ourselves too thin. And we're saying, okay, there is so much material with the Olympics and the Paralympics. If we just start covering all of the multi sport games, we are two people who can't Mm. possibly cover all of it. And yet, of course, if some of our, what we call our Shuklistanis, the people that we've interviewed are competing, we'll always mention who's competing, when they're competing, how they did. So, yeah, the Commonwealth game last year. We had a great time. on the I'm stateside gl- watching it. I'm I mean, glad. there was a there was a bull in the arena. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the Birmingham the
2: bull. bull. That's like Don't the greatest it. thing we've ever seen. Yes. Come on. How good was it? That was
3: fantastic. <laughs> and now it's got a home. So yes, it uh, was. It was a hit here. And Rosie
2: Osborne and Duran Duran. Like I mean, Birmingham, Birmingham put it on.
3: We are of a certain age where when Duran Duran showed up. Our hearts got a little fluttering,
0: <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, you mentioned like spreading cells too thin too, because I know one of the things that you do on your show, you you branch out beyond just. I mean, you have interviews too. I remember, I think the first time I discovered your podcast was uh, because you you interviewed who I think was the first athlete we interviewed, interviewed on our show, which was Evan Dunphy. And besides the athlete interviews, you know, you got books that you cover and movies and stuff like that. Do you have a certain Criteria where it's like, okay, we want to do this many episodes per month, and one will be checking this box, one will be checking that box?
1: Yeah. So we have weekly episodes. We always drop sometime on Thursday. So once a week, and that's going to be a regular show, whether it be an interview or four times a year, we have book club, four times a year, we have movie club. When we need vacations, we put together what we call lightning rounds. We ask all of our interviewees the same five questions. And then we put those together in a a shorter episode for a holiday so that we still have new content. And then during the games, it's daily.
2: Nice. So you're our rivals. Come on. Yeah,
1: yeah. (laughs) (laughs) We also have on every episode, we have a little history segment. So every year we choose a games to follow and tell stories of the history that you may not remember or you thought you remembered. Or you were too young for...
2: Yeah, (laughs) Have you done Antwerp yet? Have you done Antwerp?
1: No, no. Our (laughs) listeners decide what games we're going to do. And we always rotate between summer and winter. And then they they get to choose from a a short list of like three to five based on if it's a major anniversary of the games. Because there's usually something about it. So this year is the 35th anniversary of Seoul 1988. So Mm. that is our games of the year. And then, yeah, like Allison said, we have news from Shuklastan and then we look at any kind of future games news
2: as well. Can I just ask on that Shuklastan? I'm glad you keep saying it because I was I was worried about my pronunciation. But tell us the idea behind this because this is kind of like a, a unique thing, sort of creating a little, I guess, country to kind of attach to your show.
3: Well, originally our show was called Olympic Fever, and we had to change the name for various reasons. The
2: the, the, the nice little email from a certain, uh, (laughs) yep. Yes.
3: (laughs) Yes. So we had a little segment on there that we called TOFU, which was Team Olympic Fever Update, just to let people know what our former guests were doing since so many of them were still competing. And so then when we changed the name, we're like, TK at Team Keep the Flame Alive. The letters really didn't form anything. And then Jill and I were looking at it and she said, well, if you add stan to it, it sounds like a former Soviet republic. <laughs> and then we sort of played with it a little bit. And then it just snowballed into, well, how do we pronounce this? And we had Jason Bryant, who's a um, wrestling announcer and deals with many, many Eastern European names. He said, oh, I would pronounce this shukflastan based on this other name. And so then we just went with it. And now we have a flag and we have a flower. Yeah and an animal. And people get a kick out of it. We had pins for Beijing, just like the, you did. the pins you make for a country. We had Shook pins. And people who did not speak English would come up, show us pictures of somebody else's pin and say, you have one? It, it became a thing. They had no idea what it was. They didn't care. And it's just a lot of fun to, to have this name for the community because our listeners are also on citizens. <laughs> and it just, I Fantastic. think it's a great way to, to have the community involved.
2: That is very fun. And and so did you both go to Be- Beijing? Was that just you, Jill, that went?
1: I went for the Olympics and Paralympics and then Allison came for the Paralympics.
2: Nice. Wow. Colin, I'm getting ideas off this uh, episode, just saying uh, Paris next year. Don't know about creating a country, but we could, Okay, well, we need a mascot, well, I think, for off the program. Jared is the mascot. Jared is the mascot. We Jar- just Jared get a plush, Jared, hey. a plush <laughs> That's a good shout. I like that. Little Jared and a plush mascot. Maybe he'll actually have time to hang out with me with that. You, after that, maybe. He's not always busy. I don't know. Maybe. You, you know what,
0: you know what I, I wonder about is we're a lot further apart than, than you two are. I mean, typically our distance. But when, Jill, you're in Beijing, Allison, you're back stateside. What were those recordings like daily? Because I remember all of the Olympics we cover, never been lucky enough to be in the same time zone, even though I think Ben was supposed to be in my time zone for one of them. So it always ends up being, I'm recording at five in the morning, at 10 o'clock at night for them. None of us are happy to be up at that hour. I mean, does Olympics go insane during <laughs> that time?
3: We were just about 12 hours apart. So wow. it was, you know, Jill would finish her day and go back to the media center. And then I would start my day. but. I say start my day having stayed up most of the night watching things so we could talk about mm-hmm. them. Um, so I was here in the States, but living very much on China time. And Jill just wasn't
2: sleeping. <laughs> Have you caught up yet, Jill? It's been like a bit over it, a year it, now.
1: It, I'm starting to get to catch up.
0: <laughs> you know, does, that, does that fanaticism of the Olympics, I mean, it's got to help because I know during um, Beijing, I got COVID like the day of the opening ceremonies. And also I had work stuff going on during the entire Olympics where I was supposed to be on vacation for two weeks. So it ended up being like a day-to-day thing where my boss would be like, I don't think we need you tomorrow. Do you want to take the day off? And then I would be sick with COVID, but staying up till three in the morning. That, that, that's one of the things that has to help a little bit because you're going to be staying up at all hours, like you said, Allison, anyways, just watching everything.
3: So Tokyo was actually, I remembered this this morning when I was thinking about what stories I wanted to tell that I don't think we've ever even told on the, our show so opening ceremonies of Tokyo we're watching it we watched the opening ceremonies and then we go to record and I said to Jill Jill I'm not feeling well I'm having a lot of trouble but we're we're going to record the show and going to be okay Midway through recording I said to her we have to stop and I went and I got sick and then came back and finished recording wow. So it was just one of those you know 24 hour bug had a migraine it was just one of those crazy days and I remember getting off that recording and thinking i'm so glad we weren't live and <laughs> what is wrong with me that i just go to the bathroom vomit and come back and finish the show it was like that's what's going to get me through dedication. and i think that's yeah. the show very much got us through covid the pandemic yeah. time <laughs> and being able to work together and having something to look forward to and having that so i don't know if there's an illness for this but clearly <laughs> there is something that keeps you going I-
2: I've always had, when an Olympics finishes, I think there is an illness then. I like to call it Sal's, Severe Olympic Withdrawal Syndrome, because you're so attached during a 16-day period to an event that when it just ends, it's so abrupt and it's so sad. I don't know, maybe, Jill, when you sort of were waiting in Beijing between the Olympics and the Paralympics, if you had a sort of a bit of a downer on that Monday, because I remember when I worked at the Commonwealth Games in 2018, Gold Coast is a buzz and alive, and you're at the train station, you're like, where are you going today? And oh, oh, there's a Fijian netball team. Like, oh, there's an athlete from this sport. Like, it's just the whole thing is buzzing. And then Monday morning, you just go to the train station. They've put back in all the benches, the vending machines are there. Everyone's back in business suits. Everyone's back to, I don't want to talk to you. I'm going to work. I'm grumpy. Like, it's that instant like of a switch where it's like a city's alive and then it's just like oh, back to normal and you're like wow this feels really weird.
1: I don't think I really had that because we were in the closed loop so the closed loop kind of kept going. They did want to shut down in between the Olympics and Paralympics and then all of a sudden all these media people said but we still have to stay here where are we going to go what are we going to do because they didn't let us do much of anything. And so the day after, I think there was some recording, we we talked with some people in different countries for some stuff. And then eventually I had to move hotels. So that took a couple of days to deal with. And then I got like a weekend off and read books. I went to a different hotel for dinner, which, you know, that that took like three hours round trip (laughs) (laughs) and just tried to sleep until Allison came and it was time to prep again, really almost immediately.
2: I loved your updates during Beijing, your daily, was it your breakfast or your dinner? You'd always post your oh, food. From, yes. <laughs> because I, I've been to, in Malaysia and Thailand, and I know it's sort of that, that culture shock sometimes, and you go to some of these countries where it is like, oh, this is what they eat for breakfast. And I used to love hmm. that during, It was I'd go to Malaysia for the Grand Prix back in the day, and yeah, every day you'd have these different breakfasts. And it was so, it wasn't just cereal that we eat in Australia. Like, we're not a breakfast country, but it was just like, oh, they're having Fried rice and noodles for breakfast. This is interesting. So it's kind of a bit of a fun thing with a country like that, the breakfast I have, isn't it?
1: Oh, it was fabulous. I had (laughs) an every day for six weeks. Oh, it was delicious. I had dragon fruit. But you you just tried to eat as much as you could in the morning because I didn't know when I was going to eat again, really. and And Media media Center Foods. Well, the Media Center Food was kind of cool because they had all these robot machines and some of the food was really good. I didn't get to eat in the media center very much because there was a lot of travel involved, getting to venues. So if the food at the venue was not all that great, not much to choose from. And if there was a line and the competition was going to start, you were just kind of stuck. So there was a lot of power bars in my life and a lot of breakfast.
2: What was the favorite event you got to go to in Beijing?
1: Let's see. I loved Big Air. Big Air. I only got to go to the men's final. I couldn't get up early enough to go to the women's final. But the big air venue was really, really cool. I like that industrial kind of steampunky look. And that's really what it looked like. It was kind of a shame because there was a really beautiful park right on the back of the venue that you couldn't go to. The competition was really fun. The attitudes of freestyle skiers are really refreshing and it's a lot of fun to watch them. And I know during the Paralympics, one of my favorite, one of my best days there was seeing snowboard cross because I love snowboard cross. And the announcers there were phenomenally fun.
2: Great. Wow. You're making it. I, I, I know you're looking at Paris next year and I'm very much looking at Paris next year as well. So we might be able to do this in person, but I mean, it's just, I've never been to an Olympics. Colin's never been, well, Colin, Colin sort of nearly went to an Olympics he nearly got to be in an opening ceremony of an Olympics so he got well, the closest well, out of all of us I think.
0: <laughs> so as Well sort of I mean the eighty, the anniversary the 88 Seoul Olympics I was the year that Taekwondo was a demonstration sport and I was in Taekwondo at the time and I guess our academy which is like a national academy was going to go there and they were saying like okay anybody is allowed to come but you know obviously you have to have your parents permission I was seven years old, I think at the time. So there was no way my parents were going to take me out. Ultimately, it came down to is, well, we can't do this because we've got two other kids and your dad's got work and whatever. But I would have been able to be on the opening field and all that. And I definitely hold a grudge to this day for that. But Vancouver was even more disappointing, though, because I was off work for that entire winter. And if it wasn't for the fact that I had plans for the spring that I needed money for, I was like, I'm going to go down there, even if it's a day trip. I want to fly out there in the morning, see one event and come back just so I can go to the Olympics and just didn't have the money to do it. But I mean, just crush. It. I mean, have either of you outside of this, just as fans, been able to attend Atlanta, anything?
1: I went to Salt Lake City for two days. Oh, it, it kind of is the same thing. Well, I mean, Atlanta was at a bad time because I was in between jobs and had no money. Vancouver also at a time had no money and then so running trend so,
0: here if anybody wants to donate to either of our shows <laughs> we will take it
1: <laughs> but Salt Lake City like two weeks beforehand I heard on the radio oh we still got tickets and I looked and they did have tickets and that was a time where if you lived in the host country it was a lot easier to buy tickets than going through the authorized ticket reseller so I looked and there was biathlon tickets for like twenty twenty seven 27 dollars and went oh, we can go. And I had friends in Colorado. So I flew out to Salt Lake. They drove from Colorado. We slept in a car one night. And then Hmm. the second night we stayed at a Days Inn, which is kind of lower end for 500 bucks a night. Wow. And that's why we slept in the car one night. But we saw biathlon was fabulous. First time I'd ever really been exposed to it. Love the sport now. And then we got short track tickets. So we Ooh. got to see Apollo Antonono
2: skate. Did, did you see Bradbury? Were you were you there when Bradbury won the gold for Australia? Were you there that night?
1: I should look and see if I was there Ooh. that night. But I do remember Apollo Antonono.
2: Yeah. That's I awesome. mean, I, I saw a Utah Jazz game in Salt Lake City, and I was more excited for the fact that that was the arena where Stephen Bradbury won Australia's first ever winter gold. Everyone was like, oh, yeah, the Jazz. And I'm like, yeah, cool basketball. But do you know what happened here in 2002? Alison, have you, you your been Olympic experiences? Have you been outside of the Paralympics?
3: I have not. I was supposed to go with Jill. Jill invited me. We were working together at the time. But unbeknownst to her, I was seven weeks pregnant and very sick. Uh, I, it seems to right. be a running theme for me. So I just had to politely <laughs> decline and not tell her why. And it just had never come up. Lake Placid back in 1980 was within driving distance of where I grew up. But that wasn't what we did, even yeah. though it was four or five hours away, it just seemed very, very far. But that's the one that I wish I had been to because that's the one where I really fell in love with it. And just when we got to go to Lake Placid uh, at the beginning of the podcast, I was walking around like a little kid. It was probably embarrassing. I just, oh, this is where they skated.
2: Oh, I remember what you this. Do. Like that's um. um... Yeah, I I was, I'm showing my age here, I was 13 for Sydney and I remember when Sydney was announced and parents like, yeah, absolutely, we're going to go to Sydney, we're going to go to Sydney and long story short, we didn't go to Sydney. But I mean, the best thing about Sydney though, for Australia, they aligned all the school holidays for that two week period in September. So the entire country was so basically my entire life as a 13 year old on school holidays was living, breathing, everything Olympics. But I'm going to obviously make sure that Brisbane happens no matter what. But I'm in Sydney now. I'm 22 years late, 23 years late. So, hey, I'm I'm at least here. But it's it's that fandom, like out at where, you know, Homebush is in the Olympic area. Like I, I was there the other night to see a comedy show. And literally when you get off the train, you're walking right next to the Olympic Stadium. And still, I'm just in awe. And then you actually walk under the cauldron. They've got, it's called Cathy Freeman Park and they've literally got the cauldron right there. And people are just walking past, yeah, whatever, I've just been to him going home, catching the train. And I'm standing underneath He's like, this is the cauldron, everyone. Do you not understand what this is? And all on the ground, they've got literally all little plaques for every gold medalist from the Paralympics and Olympics as well. And every time I go to an Olympic city, Jill, you mentioned Salt Lake, when I was there, I'm like, take me to the stadium, take me to here, take me to there. And I saw the cauldron there and still amazes me that you have an opening ceremony in a university stadium, but go America. And then when I was living in Victoria in in Canada, and I'd go to Vancouver a lot, every time I'd go to Vancouver, go to see the cauldron, go to BC place, Calgary, Montreal, my first visit to Montreal, I'm straight in the train. I'm transported back to the seventies because they've basically kept that almost like it's still 1976. It's fantastic. I'm, I'm such a fan, even Melbourne, I go there all the time, but like the MCG, greatest sporting venue in the world, in my opinion, they've got like the big plaques and They've got a museum there to do with the Olympics. So I, yeah, every time I go to an Olympic city, I'm like, where were the Olympics? Take me there now. I
1: have actually been swimming at the Sydney Olympic.
2: Ah, it's a nice pool, isn't it?
1: It's a really nice pool. It's really deep. Yes. Really, really deep.
2: Yeah, we like to be deep in Australia and throw people in. It's like, you learn to swim. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) That's how we win gold medals. It's no choice.
0: I I know with, with Calgary, every time I go there, I'm going there just to go to the Olympic Park, but... Even in the airport, you, you probably saw it there too, Ben. Like, yeah, yeah. There's mannequins in the airport that are in the opening ceremony u- u- uniform. The mascots are mascots in the airport. There, yeah. yeah. And this is decades later, and Calgary's got a lot of things that they could be showcasing, but even in their airport, we're like, we're going to brag on the Olympics from 30 years ago. <laughs> well,
3: to be fair, Calgary was pretty fantastic.
0: Oh, yes. Yeah.
2: <laughs> I was one. I saw Cool Runnings and Eddie the Eagle. Well, that, look at how many movies they made about it. Half the reason I go for the Calgary Flames is because of those Olympics and the fandom of the Jamaican pop sled team and all that as a kid. Does that count?
0: We'll forgive you. <laughs> what it was that got you into in which Olympics?
3: Well, the the first memory that I have been told about and I think is recreated is, of course, Nadia from Montreal 76. I was the little kid who went out at the barbecue and would not come in until I learned how to do a cartwheel. But the, <laughs> the Olympics that I know are my memories is 1980. I remember the Miracle on Ice with the U.S. hockey team, the Heartbreak Kids, Ty Babylonia and Randy Gardner, who couldn't compete. They were the reigning Pairs Championships in ice skating. And because it was in New York State where I lived, I had that very strong connection to it.
1: So I had a friend who loved Dorothy Hamill and she had the Dorothy Hamill haircut. She had the Dorothy Hamill doll. So I knew who Dorothy Hamill was when she was at the height of her popularity. But the games that really sucked me in were LA 84 because I was an age group swimmer at the time and, and was fairly competitive in my little area. And I just remember watching the opening ceremonies not knowing who Rayford Johnson was when everybody got excited that he lit the cauldron. <laughs> but the swimming competition, especially when the women's 100 meter free, when Nancy Hogshead and Carrie Steincipher tied for gold, that just blew my mind and I was just hooked.
3: For Ben, was it like last year was your first Olympics? Since yeah. You, you
2: know,
0: <laughs> I, I was going to say how Robert not. Rio when he had no idea what was going on? I, I actually like
2: this because generally now the, the recent spate of guests we've got on and we generally ask the question like, what was the first Olympics <laughs> you remember watching? They're like, oh, London 2012. I have <laughs> yeah. brief memories of. And I was like, oh, all right. Um, no, for me, it was actually Barcelona. I was five, but I remember sort of watching. going like, what is this? This is unique. And I remember like Kathy Watt winning the road race for Australia, sort of the Kieran Perkins. Height that was sort of around then and everything and the awesome foursome in the rowing. So I sort of remember that. I think what got me like Atlanta was the real first one where it was like, okay, I'm I'm watching the opening ceremony. I remember because I played field hockey growing up and I remember having a game in the morning that the famous 1500 meters but Kieran Perkins ultimately won and everyone was all like, ah, he's snuck in, he won't win. It's all about Daniel Kowalski. And I'm all like, no, Kieran's going to do it. Kieran's going to do it. And he ultimately famously did from Lane 8. You know, Winter Olympics coverage in Australia was very sporadic growing up. Lillehammer, they sort of went a little bit all out. And I remember us winning our first ever medal in, in 94 with the short track relay. So I remember the coverage that got. And it, it's not the Olympics, but I do remember the Commonwealth Games in 94 and Victoria kind of really hooking me into multi-sport events. So it was, it was Atlanta was sort of really the, the main one. And then Nagano obsessed with that and then obviously sydney was the one that really kind of you know set a lot of people on fire in australia just that obsession because i think it's the unique thing obviously about australia is it's that you know when sydney got announced as the olympics and how big of a deal that was for the country because it obviously had been since 56 since we had had an olympics and now we're in a unique position for most of us in our lifetime we're going to have two olympic games in a lifetime for a country like australia is a little bit unique whereas i used to always look at like oh america they've got an olympics every two or so years but now you've had a big gap before LA, obviously, now between Salt Lake. And I guess, Colin, you've, you've had two in your lifetime, though, quite quickly in Canada in 88 and 2010, of course.
0: Yeah. And I think my earliest memories of knowing what the Olympics was, was Calgary and Calgary and Seoul, those two combined. I remember with Seoul, them showing us the opening ceremonies during our Taekwondo class and showing us some of the Taekwondo coverage from there. But uh, Similar to Ben, I think Barcelona was when I started actually really watching. Not that I knew anything about it. It was sort of like my brother and I had a TV in our room and we would just spend all hours watching and just picking a country, you know? This is whatever long jump I'm going to go for. The it, unified uh... team. Unified TV. Yes. <laughs> Underrated
2: country of the Olympics. We need to talk about them more.
0: <laughs> but then Lillehammer, I had a little bit more knowledge, obviously with the Tonya Harding, Nancy Kerrigan thing. I mean, the entire world was watching that. And I think... It was during Lillehammer when I saw the moguls for the first time, which to this day is my number one favorite sport in the world. I mean, over anything. And Jean-Luc Prassard winning the the gold in that. But similar to Ben, Atlanta was when I'm like, okay, I'm gonna watch everything. I'm watching the opening ceremonies, and I remember Donovan Bailey winning the the gold for the hundred meter and. My friend and I, we had a sleepover that weekend and we literally just watched that same 10 seconds over and over and over again. It's like an hour watching the event over and over and over again, just didn't get enough of it.
2: I want to ask you guys about Land because I know you guys have done a lot of sort of flashbacks and I, I love reading about it. But like in terms of that obsession and I'd love to find out from you, like I was that kid who back then, our newspaper every day would have the daily Olympic lift out. So I've still got that to this day. I've got the the folders filled with it and just everything you would, buy like a newspaper preview, things they don't do anymore, which is kind of, you know, sad. But like I was at, it says I would get notebooks and I would write the results out in my notebooks. I've still got all of them, little nine-year-old Ben writing out who won the decathlon that year and stuff like that. So did you two do that as well? And also on the transition, Atlanta, talk to me. I love your love of Atlanta and the show that you guys have.
3: Well, Atlanta was our first historical Mm -hmm. Olympics that we did. So we spent a year going through what we remembered, what we didn't remember, and finding new stories. I am not by nature a collector. So I was never one to write things down, save things, put it in notebooks like that. That's just not my personality. But Atlanta, I was a grown up, I was an adult living in my own apartment. And I remember sitting in the heat because there was no air conditioning in my apartment and my little television and staying up too late because I had to get to work at eight o'clock the next morning and watching so much of it. And really, it was fun. That was a fun Olympics until, of course, the bombing, um, Mm -hmm. which we covered but didn't cover because we wanted people to remember the joy of it more than everybody talks about the bombing, which was so horrific, of course. So it was a strange Olympics in that it was so much joy. And yet you've got this one thing that everyone remembers.
1: Atlanta is very interesting because it's always fun to have games on home soil. That was the first games since LA 84 that was in America. It was just really cool. And you wanted to have that magic back. The over-commercialization was a deal. And I don't think I I've wrote stuff down in that same way. I do collect a little bit more, but I don't have a ton of stuff from Atlanta that I know of. But you never know. I do have the dailies from Salt Lake when I was there. I grabbed all the dailies I could. But like, I just remember watching Muhammad Ali light the torch and I will still cry whenever I see that clip. Just all the amazing performances. And we were sucked into the gymnastics. I was kind of in between jobs at the time. And then I started at the company where Allison and I would end up meeting each other. And just talking the gymnastics with my coworkers and the horrific commentary that we had here in the United States from that event, there, it just kind of culminates and you can't help but like it, but you understand a little bit more of America being America and maybe the IOC didn't appreciate some of America's not so good points with the over-commercialization and... Then we find out, you know, later we've got some bribery scandals and all that jazz.
2: Yeah, what's an Olympics without a bribery scandal? Come on, like that just, just goes hand in <laughs> hand, hand. like with a hundred meters. I got two quick questions because I actually I'd love to learn about you two, how you two met, and going back to I think the initial question about how you two got into doing the podcast, but just on commentary and and like I don't know how much you've listened to our show we like to make a bit of a sport of it like oh channel seven aren't they you know this way during the Olympics which is funny that somehow I got a job working for them during the last Olympics but that's another story but when it comes to say talking during the coverage like do you sort of you know maybe do a segment where you're talking about like NBC like this is you know that or do you just kind of accept that's ah, NBC they're gonna this is how they do the Olympics and we don't want to talk about it.
1: well I, I will say during the Tokyo Paralympics We had a whole segment called Feed Beefs because we had a lot of questions and a lot of issues with the coverage that those Paralympic Games got. And we were so used to getting everything for the Olympics and not understanding why the Paralympics didn't have everything. We've just found out why, and that will be on a future episode. But it was a little disconcerting. And of course, we do talk about some commentators and some commentators we really love. And are thrilled when they're back on, but there's always a learning curve with becoming a commentator. That's something we we try to be somewhat nice about. I don't know.
3: Well, I, I will say if anybody goes and listens to say our first fifty episodes, they will hear our learning curve
2: <laughs> of doing the show. And I, and I and we're I nearly I, at three hundred, we're hoping to get a learning curve done eventually,
3: you know. And I I say that with both humility and humor and. Yeah, there were certain things that we did very well early on and things that we are just horrified that that's what the show sounded like. So I get when commentators really struggle. And I'm always so thrilled when I get to hear the OBS commentators, the Olympic Broadcasting Mm -hmm. Service, because they Mm -hmm. do tend to be better. But my sympathy ends when I see their paychecks in the sense of (laughs) these Olympic broadcasters and Australia, Canada, the United States, Europe. There's a lot of money flowing around, and you would think with that much money, we could do better for these athletes.
2: It's and it's it's fascinating here in Australia. They just in the last couple of weeks basically announced that a different network has got the rights now to broadcast the Olympics for ten years. Channel Nine, who is not renowned, like you think it's it'd be the same in the states. If all of a sudden ABC got the Olympics tomorrow, you'd be like, oh, this is it. Could be different, but you assume NBC is your Olympic broadcaster, CBC in Canada. Channel seven is the Olympic broadcaster in Australia they lost it for 2010 2012 and 2014 but then it, they got it back we've got a decade now of channel 9 and it's going to be interesting because some of those really iconic commentators at a channel 7 you know store gonna not probably be there i
0: would uh, actually say that some of our some of our most fun interviews have been with the commentators yeah. um, like even just the, you mentioned Devin Devinau who I mean even just following social media forget about the commentary and everything like that one curler I spoke to, I mean, he's a former athlete, Mike Harris. But then the other fun thing was, um, when we had Brittany McLean, who was a swimmer, she'd done well, she won in a relay, and she was just working. She was one of the people helping us set up interviews. And Ben's like, Oh, I think that she's an athlete too. So we asked her to be on the show. And the next thing you know, she's on CBC. She's not just doing commentary, she's doing hosting and everything like that. And we're like, man, she's made for this. So the, the commentators are definitely fun. We've
2: got we've got coming up Basil Zemplis, who, iconic voice and face in Australia of, of media, is actually now the mayor of Perth. He was the man behind the Stephen Bradbury call. So with, they did a great package on Channel 7 during the Beijing Olympics, because that was the 20th anniversary of Stephen Bradbury, and they sort of had Bradbury on talking about memories. But then they also got Basil on to like, well, this is my memories of how I even got to call it. Like, I got a last minute call from Channel 7. Do you want to go to Salt Lake tomorrow? What do you know about Short Track? And he's like, oh... I know everything about it and was like researching it on the plane. So during the interview, as a bit of a teaser, I get him to recreate the call. So it's it's kind of that I- iconic moment really with that. You talk about you you worked together, did you? And then sort of do you just sort of sit around the lunchroom and go, so do you watch the Olympics? You like the Olympics? I like the Olympics too. And it's kind of like that Spider-Man meme where you're pointing at each other. Well, well we worked I, I in
1: even better because we worked in the same department and literally it was an open office plan for our department. So we'd turn around and talk Olympics. Wow. And annoy our coworkers.
3: (laughs) Yeah, We were diagonal from each other. So we did this also with our work. So one of us would turn around, usually me, and say, hey, Jill. And she'd turn around and say, hey, Allison. And then we would work out whatever issue we were dealing with of our work. But then when Salt Lake City came around, it became what is going on. And we had a boss who was horrified with ice dance. Particularly the outfits. And one morning we were talking and she just looked at me because she knew I was a figure skating fan and said, Allison, why are they wearing rags? <laughs>
0: <laughs>
3: and so she became involved in the conversation. So later on, I had my daughter and I moved away and we were no longer working together and I was home by myself. It's very lonely. And I wasn't working. And Jill had left that job and she was working from home and she was lonely. And it just sort of evolved in that way where we met up, we were visiting, and she said, I think I'm going to do a podcast. Would you like to do it with me? And I said, I listen to podcasts? Sure. Having no, <laughs> no idea what I was getting into and also what it would mean when you hit a pandemic. And I mentioned this before, there were weeks where just talking to her on Zoom was the only other outside contact I think both of us had or the Mm -hmm. interviews that we did, and it was an absolute lifeline to sanity. To be doing the podcast, to be interacting with the listeners, to have that connection to the outside world was tremendous in so many ways. I'm sure you guys had had similar experiences because you're locked down.
2: Yeah, Colin's my only friend, <laughs> so.
3: Well,
0: that's true, but we know Jared doesn't count. But what's interesting, we mentioned about the pandemic because, like I said, I got COVID on the day of the opening ceremonies. I think that was the only episode I actually missed during. The
2: no, you missed because you got it. I got it during Beijing as well. You so there was one day yeah. where basically we were like, ah, so two of us are down. And we'll be back tomorrow for a double episode. Yeah. <laughs>
0: Ben was literally locked in a hotel at that point. So <laughs> that definitely made it a lot easier too. It's funny because when I, when I think about that, like Ben and I had been doing another podcast together since before Sochi, and I don't even think that we even realized we were as big Olympic fanatics during those Olympics, or maybe it was during those Olympics. It's like, oh, Ben's posting a lot about it and you're, oh, I'm, I'm posting about it a lot, but uh, I kind of wish that we'd had those Olympics because there's nobody to talk to. Like for me, I know a few people who might check out an event here or there I don't know anybody personally who's like an Olympic fanatic. And I remember every single day I'd be saying, oh, this went on. Did you see it? And people are like, no, no, I didn't see it. And they'd be humoring me, you know, they're like, oh, oh, yeah, that's interesting. I remember trying to arrange a moguls party during Sochi for like the finals of so like, who wants to come to my moguls party? It's like, oh, I think i they pulled a Jared. I think I'm busy that day or whatever. <laughs> <and stuff. laughs> Knowing it's not necessarily something like soccer or football or hockey where you just turn around and the first person you see they're going to know everything about it you know being able to have anybody to talk to about it is definitely it saves your sanity
2: because it's one of those things that's a great comparison to like soccer and that because generally every four years or every two years you know obviously with the winter and summer cycle you'll get people who are like tuning in and watching it but between those cycles you know no one's really sort of caring and that's obviously what we do on our shows is to get the athletes on and they're still competing in between olympics you know they're, they're still out there working their butts off to try and make an Olympics and, and win medals and that. But yeah, I, it's, it's through the people I've known in my life and that, like my dad might be like, Oh cool. Who want to go medal today? I remember after rio um my mom and i going to sort of a famous market in hobart on the same day that they had a, a welcome home parade and i'm like mom i'm going to go you know meet these olympians She's she's like who what are they doing here but like as a kid like dragging my parents i had all these sydney parades and everything in the lead up and afterwards uh, i remember going to a i think at high school after the sydney olympics we had sort of like a, a school dance between, because I went to an all boys high school. So they got the all girls high school and we came together and it was called like a social or something. And it was a fancy dress. So I dressed as Peter Van and Hoogenband of all the people. It didn't go as like Ian Thorpe or Kathy Freeman. I went as a Dutch swimmer because why wouldn't I?
0: And everybody- doing with the speedo as the wrist? Yes.
2: <laughs> Everyone's, you know, dressed up as like Batman or like Princess Jasmine or something like that. And I'm in this like orange shirt with goggles with like a fake gold medal around me. like, who are you? I'm like, Peter Van and Hoogenband. And they're like, Who? Like, did you not watch the Olympics? <laughs> Clearly, I'm the only 13 year old here who did. So, yeah, right, kind of unique right. finding people you can talk about it with,
1: right? And and I lived in Boston for a long time, and friends there, we would have opening ceremonies parties, mm. and people would be like, "Oh yeah, I love the Olympics." We'd have an opening ceremonies party; it'd be a lot of fun. We'd do food contests, like we'd call it Top Chef food contest, where you you were assigned a sport and you had to create a dish around that sport, nice. and that was a ton of fun. But then like the day-to-day nitty-gritty in the 15th hour of coverage that day, can you still talk about it? And the answer is not very many people can.
2: Yeah. And it's even sort of through my current job where I I work for a major sporting organization, an Olympic sport, mind you. And it's still kind of people, like you mention it and they sort of like, oh, the Olympics. Oh yeah. And it's like, well, this sport is at the Olympics, but... It's not the Olympics. Is not the, it's it's soccer. So like obviously the World Cup is more their peak sort of body there when it comes to that sort of stuff. But it is interesting, and and particularly in Australia we're such a sporting nation that we saw during the World Cup with the soccer roos how much we get behind it because like we really don't have like a sport where. Everything stops because even like, say, Australian football, it's only really regional. There's two states don't really give two hoots about it. Cricket, yeah, but like, it's not sort of like we're all sitting around watching it religiously because that's a whole other story. So an Olympics and a World Cup are kind of those two ones that sort of do that. But then obviously with an Olympics, because, you know, there's so many sports. It's not like we're all the modern pentathlon World Cup's on. Let's all stop, which I wish we would, because that's the best Olympic sport. We all agree with that. But it's just it's interesting how there are people out there who are just like oh the Olympics sure. Uh-huh.
0: <laughs> it's, mm. One
3: and- of the big questions that I get when people find out what I do and what the show is about is what do you do when the Olympics and the Paralympics are not on? Hundred percent, yeah. And I look at them like they have seven heads. It's like do you know how many sports <laughs> there are in this event? Do you yeah. know how many people are involved that we can talk to? And it amazes me that. Even though people watch it, don't realize how big, complex and how many people are involved. Even though you yeah. must mm-hmm. understand when you're looking at 16 days of 18 hours of a day of competition, there's a lot of people involved. But it doesn't seem to register except when it's on. It's that out of sight, out of mind. Do you find that as well?
2: Absolutely. And it's crazy kind of when you explain what exactly what you're saying, because People, get yeah, have that vision. It's just 16 days every four years, basically. So, yeah, that's all they've got to feel. I mean, I, just, I don't know if they think that just, you know, people are just sitting around like Michael Phelps just sat around for four years and go, oh, the Olympics are on in two weeks. Better go. I mean, they're not Dale Beg Smith. That's kind of what he did. But it is yeah. it is that uniqueness of that because there is just so much into it. And even outside of the sporting things, like sort of, you know, you touched on the behind-the-scenes sort of interviews. I know you had Dick Pound on recently, yeah. things like that. Like you, just the organization that goes into bidding for an Olympics and and planning. And then even outside of the, the games themselves, you know, the cultural aspects of it, you know, the Olympic movement, the education that goes into it and people can get degrees in the Olympic movements and things like that, which people I don't think are aware of. And as Colin touched on the, the broadcast side of things, you know, like I'm sure we all harbored ambitions to be an Olympic athlete and yet we're all sitting here doing a podcast A so clearly that's worked out for us. But like, I think I clicked on that mindset as a, as a kid, knowing that it's not going to happen for me, but I love talking. I wanted to be a commentator. I wanted to be the next Bruce McEvaney. So that's where I switched my focus. So when I've got a Basil Zemplis on the show, a Devin Haru, like somebody who talks about the Olympics and it's covering them, I'm almost as excited because I love learning about what it takes to be a broadcaster during the Olympics. So yeah, there's so many stories. I mean, we did the mascots episode, like there's design teams who have to come up with branding for the Olympics. And As you can tell, I get passionate and excited about this because it is like there's so much to learn that it just it doesn't stop.
0: I'm curious, even Ben's answer for this. I mean, from all the different people you talk to, is there any time where you got starstruck? Because, I mean, you kind of just reach a point where, okay, this is an interview. And even if like when we interviewed Apollo Ono, um, I knew that one was a big deal. But it's not like I was like, oh no, what are we going to ask Apollo oh, no, and stuff like that. But oh I, no, what are we going to ask? Oh one no, one. <laughs> <laughs> good fun there. Mm-hmm. But uh, I mean, there's definitely those times though where you're like, this is a person I've looked about. How am I going to hold my cool in this interview? Yeah, Dick Pound, Dick, Dick Pound. Oh, really?
3: So when we landed that interview, we both kept saying we won't believe it until this actually happens. And that was probably the only interview where we really talked ahead. I mean, we always have a show sheet. We always have our questions planned but where we really had a meeting to figure out how we were going to approach this interview. And I, I was imagine. a wreck. I was an absolute wreck in that interview. And of course, then we started having audio problems.
2: It's always a way, right? It's always a and one And he decide. couldn't yeah.
3: really hear me. And so Jill had to take over. And so that we were nervous. But I get excited. I think with every athlete we've talked to, I get excited and a little starstruck. And I try not to, and yet also to be starstruck, because that's kind of our approach. We get to talk to and see and do things that I certainly never thought would be part of my life. And I never want to lose that.
2: But I think like with the guest side of things, I think through a lot of my career in broadcasting and that sort of stuff, you know, it's been my job to interview a lot of people where I've been fans and that and sort of it, it, you do get to a point where it's very rare that I get starstruck anymore, because it's just your job and you, you're you used to it. But there's definitely been some like Kieran Perkins. Like, I mean, when I landed that interview, he was my biggest idol as a child. I absolutely loved everything to do with him. So that was kind of a cool thing to be able to do. But even sort of in the initial days when we were doing interviews. And as I said, I'd interviewed Olympians before, but like it was sort of when we got Jamie Saleh on the show, I mean, I was obsessed with that whole figure skating controversy and in love with Jamie. I wrote off to her and David Peltier and got an autograph as like a 15-year-old in Australia. So that was a big deal. I remember getting Zali Stegel who won Australia's first ever individual Winter Olympic medal in Nagano in 98. She's now a prominent politician in this country. I don't think many people realize she won an Olympic medal in alpine skiing, Getting her on the show, that was like, wow, Zali Stegel, you know, this is a, a big deal. Penny Alexiak, who we had on recently, that was sort of a big deal. And the one that, to me, I'm still kind of annoyed that I wasn't there for the, uh, the interview, but I'm so jealous of Colin is when we got Tessa Virtue on the show and I was unavailable for that one. But, and it's not necessarily even sometimes a starstruck thing. It's when you can get athletes or guests of a certain caliber who, you no, know, they've been interviewed. 500 times and what's new for them, but when you can surprise them, when you can give them something and even they're like, oh, that's, that's a good question. Or you can make them have a bit of a giggle or something along those lines. It's, it's fun. And you feel for once, you may be good at what you do. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. But like definitely some of those and sort of, as, as you touched on there, Alison, just being so lucky for what we can do with this because, you know, we're not hired by NBC, Channel 7, CBC, you know, we're doing this as purely as a hobby, as as a fandom. And, you know, until recently, I was interviewing these athletes from my bedroom. Like I wake Mm -hmm. up and I'm interviewing Kieran Perkins from my bedroom. Who would have ever thought it? But like, it's just, it's things like that, which just makes it so much fun to do what we do.
0: It also helps. Sometimes you will get an interview where the person's like, I've done this a million times. And like with of Virtue, I remember Ben asking me afterwards, like, oh, please tell me it went well. And I'm like, you could like, she was basically on a break in a hallway. And I told him like, you could tell she's done a million of these things. It was, it was the easiest thing. it was one of the easiest interviews in the world because she's so experienced with that. But sometimes you get these athletes and they're in their bedroom, you know, and you're like, this is so easy because it's so natural. You expect, you look up to these people and you're like, oh, they're this massive superstar. And then when you actually connect the call, you're like, oh, oh yeah, sorry. I didn't clean up behind me. There's one. Famous one I always mentioned to Ben, right? She asked, oh, is this going to be on video? And I'm like, yeah. And it's like, oh, maybe I should clean up. And then she looks behind. She's got clothes dangling. And we're just like, nah, I'm not going to bother. You know? <laughs> when they're relaxed, it makes you relaxed. I mean, for me, the big one, which is an episode yet to air, is the deferral of points. <laughs> A, because the moguls is my all-time favorite sport. Be He's got either. photos
2: of him with them behind him, which They're we had to point out during. Me, which I,
0: Ben decided to bring up on the episode. Do you know that you're in photos with Colin and there's no and not his family wife. There? It's not my family. <laughs> not my my kids are off to the side. But you know that one was such a big deal because I remember when we started this show, they were one of the first ones that I had reached out to, and that you never get a response. And then Ben had tried several times, and it didn't look like it would happen. And at one point it was like, okay, they'll come on the show, but then it's like, oh, but maybe you can get one of them. And then somehow we managed to land all three sisters, all three Olympians in the exact same time. And I remember being like, if this is 4 a.m., I'll be there. And it's not even necessarily like you're starstruck, like, what am I going to say? What am I going to say? But you're like, all right, I want to come prepared for this one. And then they're so relaxed that it's just, it puts you at ease. And that's the best thing about athletes, I would say, compared to even some of, like, some of the actors we've interviewed for our other podcasts, big stars and they're like very natural and then other times it's like oh this is an interview you could see their assistant in the background you never really get that with the athletes try
2: interviewing politicians it's always it's <laughs> fun. i'll go on to a joke in a minute that we have that we're a curse every time we get someone on the show they they don't do well at the olympics um we've kind of bro it's, it's mainly amazing we've we've established but Oh, one, one that always stands out for us as an example where it was kind of the opposite and they've gone on to bigger and better things at the time we had them on. They were so unknown, but now they're sort of doing stuff. And I'd love to hear if you've had that case. We had two Canadian ski jumpers on the show, Ali Ludit and Abby Strait, who were part of the, the mixed team that won Canada's first ever ski jumping medal at the Olympics in Beijing. And they've since gone on to win world cups and junior world championships. They're doing fantastic things out there in the ski jumper community, a sport that really isn't that big in Canada. Do you
0: will f- never be back on our show again.
2: <laughs> never be back on the show again. And the great thing is, like, Ali's like, I listen to your show all the time. And it's like, wow, this is great. So, like, do you find that you've had sort of athletes like that where maybe at the time they were, say, getting started or unknown and then they go to an Olympics, win a medal, and they're sort of now a bit more of a household. And you discovered them, basically.
1: I wouldn't say we discovered Aaron Jackson because I also officiate roller derby and Aaron Jackson plays roller derby. A speed skater who won gold at 500 meters in Beijing. So she was kind of a known quantity to me. You know, you talk about being starstruck. I got to officiate her one tournament and I was a little starstruck at that. <laughs> but, you know, we talked with her when she was first starting on skates and she was shocked that she made it because she had just started on Skates a few months beforehand, and she just had this inline career that was uh, incredible. But and she still does inline skating as well. But she didn't expect to do well, and she didn't do well at Pyeongchang. That was just a learning tournament for her. And then it was nice to see her go and do big things at Beijing. And we've gotten—I I was lucky enough to be able to talk with her a little bit there. But now she's she is a a big rock star.
3: We did get to talk to her in between, so we've had her on the nice. show mm-hmm. twice.
2: Yeah. Um, you don't curse your guests. I'm hearing this. this you thing, know, like. it's so
3: well. funny you say that because I think it was during Tokyo, and then it, it happened. Tokyo. We were really starting to feel like Shukhovstan is going to have zero medals. People kept getting <laughs> hurt. That was they weren't making the team because, or they would get there and then they wouldn't compete. We were really starting to feel bad, and the guest that comes to mind about the gone on to do big things was the first interview we ever did, which was uh, Josh Williamson, who was one of the winners of the U.S. Olympic Committee did a reality show to find Uh. next Olympic hopefuls. When we spoke to him, he had not even been in a bobsled yet. And he was named to the team for Beijing and promptly got COVID. So we were like, this is all our fault. We did this to him. <laughs> Thankfully, he got well enough that he was able to compete. And we've talked to him almost every year since. So he's kind of our Choc san citizen number one that still comes back on the show, even though he's now Josh Williamson, OLY,
2: but he still talks to us. The one that comes to mind, the worst one, I think, was when we had Derek Druin on, who basically, yeah, I was gonna bring that up gold medalist in, in Rio, world champion, you know, dominating the high jump. And I think at the end of it, I'm like, well, we're gonna
0: guarantee you're gonna be Mac to Mac gold in oh, Tokyo, those... you're gonna do it. And it was like a
2: month beforehand. Derek Druin has withdrawn from the Tokyo so Olympics.
0: It, it was worse than that. I mean, he was a lock for another gold medal before Tokyo. And we had him on, he was still competing. I don't remember what year that was. And Ben decided to bring it up. I think that was the first time he ever brought up. You know, we have a bit of a curse on here. Nobody who's ever been interviewed has actually won. Although I think it's just people who were interviewed by Ben hadn't won. Yeah, people I've never had. Mine.
2: I've never had one of my that I've been on win a gold. I've had medals that have been won. Um, oh, well, I guess we had Jack in the Paralympics won a gold, so I'll, I'll take yeah. that. But like in terms of the non Paralympics, never had a gold medalist that I've interviewed and gone on to an So yeah.
0: But then Ben brings it up on the air to him and says, you know what? We I've never interviewed somebody who's actually won a medal. After, I have a good feeling. <laughs> I have a good feeling about you. I have a feeling you're gonna be the guy to break my curse. And he actually says, Yeah, you probably shouldn't tell that to people. And
2: assuming <laughs> you know, he's withdrawing from Tokyo due to injury. Hey. I think we all wanted to share for all of our listeners on both shows. Obviously, we've got a big catalog. Everyone should listen to all of our shows, clearly, all of our episodes. But the three maybe episodes that you two would recommend that if somebody listening to our show right now has never listened to Keep the Flame Alive, what are the, what are the three that if they listen to they would, they'd get in that zone and they, they'd become Flefstani's. Very nice. I,
3: we did, did not. You did it. We did not discuss this, so I'm curious to see if Jill's three are the same as my three. All
2: right. Ah, uh, I like this.
3: <laughs> so I said Ben Ryan, which is episode 193, oh, wow. rugby coach, very well known. Marnie McBean was an athlete, that's episode 114, Canadian. She was the the chef de mission for Tokyo Mm -hmm. and really became a a rock star there. Talk about a woman Literally,
0: because she played the drums. She played
3: the drum and she was everywhere. And she was able to talk about both being the chef de mission and her experiences in Atlanta as a medal-winning rower. And then from our daily shows, Jill's favorite story of mine was from the Beijing Paralympics Day seven, I had a little trouble in the mountains and <laughs> Jill particularly enjoys that one.
2: All right. I like the teasing there. I need to definitely <laughs> check that out.
1: <laughs> we have not matched on any of the episodes.
2: There's six episodes. People can listen to. That's better, right? Like extra promotion. <laughs>
1: So I picked Michael Payne, episode 269, which is a recent interview, but Michael Payne was the first director of IOC's marketing, and he's been in the movement for ages. And it's a really good way to get a whole bunch of the history there. I also picked John Register. He was on a couple of episodes, but I picked 157. He did two Paralympics. He did Atlanta for swimming, and then Sydney for long jump, and he's got a velvet voice, which is always fantastic. (laughs) But B, we really got into kind of the mechanics of long jump and we always love how sports work. So he was really good about that. And then I also picked episode 159, Stephanie Roble and Maggie Shea, who are sailors. They do the 49er FX category. Oh my gosh. You know, I didn't think much about sailing as an Olympic sport before, just because it's hard to watch on TV. It's really hard to watch. Yep. But those boats and wa- and talking to them really made me appreciate the sport a whole lot more. And it makes me want to try the sport too.
2: Pirates of the Caribbean music we've discovered is the secret. That's yeah. what they need for it. That makes it more exciting. <laughs> we did a commentary of that during Tokyo and it, it made it exciting.
0: Yeah, I'm going to put the plug out there for a soon to be aired episode. When I say soon to be aired, it- probably still a few months away, the Deferlo Point sisters. There's three of them. There are all three Olympians. There's three medals between them. And they are amazing. And they're pictured behind me. <laughs> so everybody can see and they saw. One, Ben, that you did, and I wasn't able to be on, which was devastating to me was we he mentioned the name Devin Hero. He's basically a curling fan who became a curling show host and CBC correspondent and really kind of Kept the the pandemic Olympics alive by trips to Seven Eleven and stuff like that, and it was probably one of the most entertaining people we've ever had on the show. He was just fantastic. The third one, uh, come back to me, Ben. I'm going to hear your list and then come back. Um,
2: I think just in terms of. Going back a little bit, a lot of this comes down to humor. Our year to go before before Pyeongchang episode, I think that really kind of set our love for mascots because oh. uh, we were sort of talking about the uh, the Pyeongchang mascots. And fact, my pronunciation fails. I ended up just calling them Rang and Rang. Like I just I didn't even bother to go on their actual pronunciations, and that kind of just set off a, a target in terms of just our love for the mascots. And that was a, that was a good one. I think that. Um,
1: somebody doesn't like to harangue. <laughs> How dare you? <laughs>
2: That's another one I've got on there. The mascot rankings. You can hear kind of that. I think too, it's sort of, a, it's a combination one because it's sort of, it paid off in the end. So our Penny Alexiak interview, which is a fairly recent oh, one, Canada's yes. most decorated Olympian of all time. During the Tokyo Olympics, we would do a daily award where we'd, you know, who's your athlete of the day? And I believe it was day eight during Tokyo. And that was a day that Penny had cracked the the record. She had won what, an eighth medal and, and became Canada's most decorated Olympian of all time, summer or winter. So Colin, of course, as a proud Canadian, is like, this is history. This is, this is summer Olympian doing this. This would be like if Stephen Bradbury won this for Australia, this is a rare feat. It's a summer athlete. Jared and I were very enamored by the French boxer who at that point had famously sat in protest in the uh, the ring after he lost. So we were like, no, we're voting for the French boxer. And then Colin got to the point where he got so mad, he got a chair, he threw it. He's like, I'm going to sit here for an hour and say Penny Alexia. So we played that clip to Penny during the interview, yeah. which was quite a funny one. And also during Tokyo, we, we sort of liked to do a bit of commentary. You know, we sort of expanded a little bit during... Tokyo, where we would sort of pre-record, double it over some stuff, try to be a bit fancy, you know. But during some of those events, back to Colin saying different time areas and that sort of stuff, we were on air when Canada won the penalty shootout in the women's soccer against Sweden. The penalty shootout that nobody wanted to win. And so we have live reactions. That's on day 14, essentially. Of Jared and I, Colin wasn't even on that episode, but that was absolutely fantastic. And and just, I want to give a shout out, a recent one we did actually with Gerard Caballon Breaker, who talks up and you're talking about sort of learning about sailing, Jill. Uh, Breaking coming to the Olympics is sort of that bit confusing, like, oh, how's this going to work? And Gerard just explained it amazingly and just kind of talked about how it's even, you know, a bit divisive in the breaking community, whether they want this in the Olympics, because like, it's not a sport, it's an art form, things like that. And we actually will have another breaker on the show in the coming weeks as well, one of Australia's top female breakers. So if you want a bit of an education on breaking or breakdancing, you can check those out as well.
1: I did listen to that interview. It was really good. And until we can get a breaker on, there you go.
2: Yeah. And you got it. to talk to there.
1: my favorite name from
3: Tokyo, Zach's Double D Cook.
2: Oh, yes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> we all go gobbledygook. Gook. <laughs> and that, that, the, the fun thing is just ties into that Basil one I was talking about because his famous call was
0: like, we all go gobbledygook for the next doubley uh, I, I want to put a plug for one of your episodes because I'm I'm only on the first part. I haven't listened to the second part yet, so depending on when people are listening to this. But Dick Pound, fantastic just to get him on there. An incredible interview too. I'm going to match with Ben here for my third one. I'm going to go with the Penny Alexia because it really does tie into that athlete of the day, which let me just add on that being the only non-Australian when you had two Australian co-hosts and it's majority wins for an athlete of the day. Let's also just say that there had been four athlete of the days chosen by the majority throughout those Olympics. And we hadn't had any, barely anything but Australians. So when I was protesting Penny Alexiac, it's like, listen, I'm going to get one Canadian finally here. I'm I'm going to make it Penny Alexiak. And the chair was real. The protest wow. was real. It was, Partly in humor, but came back for her. <laughs> partly in humor, but I eventually got Jared Arcos to change his vote, and I sent him a box of Penny Alexiak Cheerios all the way to Australia as a reward for that. But that was a perfect example too, because Penny Alexiak rarely gives interviews, even here in Canada, like very rarely. And then when we had her, you expect her to be like one of these very serious, and then she was like. So fun, so energetic, and the most Canadian, the the most
2: Canadian answer ever, which I'll give a shout for was basically like, so Penny, like you broke the record, like Justin Trudeau's tweeting about you. Like, was this amazing? She's like, it was fine. It was cool. when Drake tweeted about me. (laughs) So it's like, well. That's out Canadian. You go for Drake rather than Trudeau. Fair enough. Yeah, well, so. we got
3: we and got also, very Canadian during Tokyo. We had a whole segment to where in Tokyo is Marnie McMean. Yeah. Because she was everywhere. <laughs> so every day on our Tokyo shows, it was where she had been and what events she had been to and how she was Team Canada's mom for the whole games. It was really incredible. She's amazing. And,
0: Another kind of cross thing here, I'm pretty sure it was the first interview we ever had Ben was Evan Dunphy. It was Evan. Yeah. And then I remember when you, it was one of the times you've had Evan Dunphy on and it, that was after the whole announcement of what was going to happen with race walking. And I even remember your interview with him, you had audio issues or something. So you aired some off-air conversations in lieu of that and not technically off-air, but it was Evan Dunphy unloading. And I remember... As we went into the second interview with him, I was like, oh, I wonder if he's just like, no, we interviewed him the second time. That is Evan Dunphy. He he has no holds barred. I'm going to tell you exactly how I feel about this.
1: And there's a lot of athletes in smaller sports or smaller events who once they get confidence in where their place is, I would say, in the sport, Mm -hmm. they understand that they can do what they want and they're not going to get a whole lot of heat. And they can say what they want, and that helps them make change. So I I applaud Evan Dunphy for being unspoken on our show. That was great. <laughs> but no, but I I applaud him for realizing what his position in the sport can do mm-hmm. and what he can do for the sport.
2: Yeah, it's always fascinating when you kind of get them speaking out and doing that and, and all the education. I, I want to you to give all the plugs because – you know, I want, I want people listening to our show right now to learn where they can listen, what they can do, how they can join the, the crew and everything along those lines because they should be, they should be tuning in. It's, it's far more entertaining than our show. Come on, give it. talk yourselves up.
1: Well, you can find us at flamealivepod.com. You will be on your podcast player of choice. So look for us there. We're at Flame Alive Pod on Twitter and Insta and Facebook. And we also have a Facebook group where all of the fun is at, and that is Keep the Flame Alive podcast Facebook group.
3: For
2: us, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, we're there, YouTube as well. We're doing a bunch of sort of video, uh, pretty much all of our athlete interviews now. uh, They're also on video form. We don't put our non-interview ones up because no one wants to stare at me for that long outside of an an Olympian on the show. And yeah, where all good podcasts are found, Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, all the... Fun ones. I feel like it's so monotonous. You say that at the end, right? We are hoping to get a website, so we'll we'll join the twenty first century eventually. Maybe by Paris actually, which I'm hoping that like, are you both going to go to Paris, or is that kind of the idea for both of you? We've yeah. applied. Unlike Beijing, where Jill
3: drunkenly applied for credentials without telling me.
0: I think it was thing to do when drunk. Or yeah, when just drunk. you know, had a few <laughs> drinks,
3: put him in, and all of a sudden, I find myself lost on a mountain in China we worked very hard putting our Paris application together. So hopefully we will have a credentials for there. But I think we'll probably both end up there anyway, whether we're credentials or not.
2: Similar story, I think, right here. The application's been put in, but uh, no, I've set myself the goal, accredited or not, I'm going to Paris. I've put in for the, uh, the ticket lottery as well as a backup. Yeah, well, we can do this together. Like Colin, you've got to take some time I- off work next year in July. Come on.
0: And I'd have to get the okay from four other people Just in my house. Don't but tell Los them. Ange- Los Angeles. I'm a hundred percent there. I already, I, the second that was announced, I told my wife, "I'm going to Los Angeles with or without you, so you can bring the." Key and key then Brisbane. With- Brisbane, Brisbane. I am Just so up.
2: ready for Brisbane. Nine years to get some time off for that, Colin, as well. I think then, we've got. And you five need left. to
0: get a couple spare bedrooms then, so I'll everybody can f- stay on hotels for Brisbane.
2: Sorry. I mean, I'm a bit far. It's a bit of a long drive from here. It's like a 15 hour commute to Brisbane. Uh, so <laughs> might need to get somewhere a little bit closer in the next nine years, but uh, we will see. I so thoroughly enjoy being able to do this with you both.
3: Thank you so much. And, and this is, you know, when we get to talk to other people who do what we do, and, and this is so cool that we get to do this and get to talk to these people and then get to talk to each other and share that with our listeners. This is just cool.
1: Seriously.
2: I agree. But no, this has been fun. I agree. So we really appreciate you being able to sort of join us here and 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 do this.
1: Excellent. Thank you so much, Ben and Colin. You can find Off the Podium on your favorite podcast app and follow them on social at Off the Podium Pod. Hey, don't forget, our book club is coming up and we're reading Inaugural Ballers by Andrew Marinus. But the other cool aspect of this is that Andrew is coming on to have a Q&A with us live for the listeners. It won't be a, a regular episode of the show. This is a special event. It will be on Monday, March 27th at 9 p.m. Eastern, 8 p.m. Central. This is free, but we do need you to sign up in order to send you the link to RSVP. You can email flamealivepod at gmail.com and please put book club in the subject line. But look for more on our socials so that we're going to be promoting this a little bit more. And we'd love to see you there and chat with Andrew about his book. All right, that is going to do it for this week. Hey, let us know what you think of our crossover episodes. We've been having fun with some friends and there's some other Olympics podcasts out there. Should we do more of these?
3: You can email us at flamealivepod at gmail.com. Call or text us at 208-352-6348. That's 208-FLAME-IT. Our social handle is at Flame Alive Pod. Be sure to join the Keep the Flame Alive podcast group on Facebook. And don't forget, our weekly newsletter is filled with other fun stories about this week's episode. And you can sign up for that at FlameAlivePod.com.
1: Next week, we are getting into the Paralympic movement with Alexis Schaefer, the former commercial and marketing director of the International Paralympic Committee. Get excited about this because we get some answers to feed beefs. And if you haven't listened back to our Tokyo 2020 Daily Paralympic shows, go listen to one or two kind of in the middle because you'll understand what feed beefs are. But Alexis has the answers for us and it's really fascinating. So we're excited to share his conversation with you. Thank you so much for listening. And until next time, keep the flame alive.